Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Julius Baer. I'm in Singapore. Joining me today in Zurich is Julius Baer's Head of Equity Strategy, Mathieu Ratchter. Hello, Mathieu. Hello, Mark. In the next 15 to 20 minutes, Mathieu and I are going to be discussing the U.S. equity market, and specifically, we're going to spend some time on the technology sector. Now, predicting which sectors perform best every single year is a pretty difficult thing to do, but somebody's got to do it, and Julius Baer, that person, is Mathieu Ratchter. So you've got a tough job, Mathieu. My first question is a simple one. Are technology stocks going to do better or worse than the rest of the market for the remainder of this year? And Mathieu, while you reflect on how to answer that, I'm going to just give a little background for the listeners because I want to compare the performance of technology and the rest of the market. Most often when people talk about technology stocks, they refer to the NASDAQ 100 index because it's one of the most technology-heavy indices around. Technology is over two-thirds of the NASDAQ 100 index. And it's done well. In fact, I should say very well. Maybe I should say very, very well from the beginning of 2012 to the end of 2021. So 10 years, it returned 700%. Now, if we compare that with the rest of the stock market, I'm going to use another index, the S&P 500 X Technology Index. As the name implies, it's all the stocks in the S&P 500 except the technology stocks. And the return of that index is a lot less. S&P X technology returned just 200% over those 10 years. So massive outperformance of technology versus the rest of the market over the last 10 years. But when we look at what they've done just so far this year, and I admit we're not very far into this year, then the picture changes. The NASDAQ 100 index is actually down 13% from the 31st of December and the S&P 500 X technology index is down 6%, so less than half. Mathieu, I apologize, a very long-winded way to ask the first question, but to make it short again, what do you think happens for the rest of the year? Thanks for the question, Mark. So indeed, technology stocks were really at the forefront of this secular bull market that started after the great financial crisis in 2008. And it's quite tempting to just look at the performance chart of the technology sector, which almost looks parabolic, and say that's a bubble, which now has started uh, to burst. But at this point, it's very critical, um, very important to remind investors that at the end of the day, it's earnings what drives stock prices in the long term. And the large outperformance that we have witnessed uh, in technology stocks since the great financial crisis is exactly because they have been able to deliver superior earnings growth. And just to give you some numbers here, so if you look back and look at back at the data since 2008, earnings of the IT sectors have grown by 600%, so six-fold, far exceeding the rest of the market, which has seen earnings grow by 240%, so not even half of it. So really the big question here is if the IT sector can continue to deliver superior earnings growth in the future. And our short answer here is yes, we believe so. 
the sector continues to be overexposed to various secular trends and also the profitability remains far uh, superior here. And for instance, the sector's net margins, net profit margins are more than double than that of the broad market. So we remain bullish, we remain constructive on the sector in the long term, which will continue to play a core part in investors' equity portfolio allocation. So if you take now a little bit a more short-term view and look specifically at this year, 2022, the sector's relative performance is much more dependent on where bond yields are going from here and what central banks are doing, especially the Fed, because of the longer duration characteristic of the IT sector, they have been obviously been one of the main beneficiaries of the low yield environment that we have been in for some time now. But things have started to change, things have started to reverse since the start of the year, with bond yields rising sharply across not only the US, but also Europe. And usually when bond yields rise, investors start to rotate out of those growth stocks into value stocks that are more sensitive um, to economic growth. We think that this rotation has mostly already run its course by now and therefore uh, think that the recent correction that we have witnessed in technology stocks actually offers quite an interesting entry point for long-term oriented investors. Thank you, Mathieu. I want to delve into the technology sector and talk about some of the themes. I want to start with the metaverse. And so many companies are talking about it. Basically, it's a virtual representation of the physical world. So we each have avatars of ourselves. We walk around doing various things in various virtual worlds. And some people say it's a lot more than that. They say it's a completely alternate world that's going to play as important a role as our physical world as time goes by. Then there's others who say, well, maybe technology nerds are going to do that, but the average person isn't going to embrace it anytime soon because the time between awareness and adoption is often much longer than we think with technology. I kind of agree with that. I remember saying 10 years ago that 10 years from then, in other words, today, we were all going to be in driverless cars. Well, that didn't happen. But then I look at other things, and I do see that adoption can happen very quickly, like smartphones. So, Mathieu, my next question is the metaverse. Is it for real? Is it going to be adopted as quickly as smartphones or as slowly as driverless cars? Should we own companies that have exposure to it? That's a very good question. The metaverse is still in its infancy, and so far no one really knows what it will be and how it will look like in the future. And even if you talk to industry leaders who are directly involved in the creation of the metaverse, even they have different opinions on its evolution and how it will look like in a few years' time from now. So for this exact reason, it's very difficult to precisely define the metaverse. But what is clear so far is that the metaverse will be an evolution of the internet with more immersive experiences. But to actually reach that point, the metaverse still needs much more time and investment to actually solve these technological barriers that so far has prevented us from those experiences. I totally agree, you know, if you point that the adoption curve usually raises much slower compared to expectations, and there's also a risk that we kind of invest in a hype technology that will take much more time to materialize. So we already saw the risk of hypes and expectations as the price of those pure metaverse players raised following the rebranding of the world's largest social media platform, but then gave up uh, all of the outperformance again um, since the end of November last year. So for this particular reason, we advise investors to be cautious 
and recommend stocks that benefit also from other megatrends and actually have an option on the metaverse, meaning that they could play a important role in the metaverse, but their growth trajectory is not solely dependent on it. In addition, investors should be aware that in the short term, fundamentals might be negatively impacted. Uh, why? Because the companies will have to invest and in order to position themselves as the key beneficiaries of the metaverse. So while the upside and revenues might really take, will take some time to materialize higher in the short term, we will likely see higher capital expenditure and higher operating costs, which will, of course, weight on the margins and profitability of the companies. Mathieu, it kind of reminds me of the internet back in the mid-90s. Everybody knew it was coming, but nobody knew what it would look like. And it took a lot of time to build the infrastructure. Well, since you mentioned other megatrends, let me ask your opinion on two of them, cloud computing and artificial intelligence. And I think those are a little more in the here and now than the metaverse. And they actually go hand in hand. Artificial intelligence basically means robots taking over, machines becoming as clever as people. It's been talked about for 100 years. It never really happened, but that's because until recently, we didn't have a lot of data and we didn't have the ability to store and use the data in a scalable way. And now we do. For example, a basic smartphone is 100 times more powerful than the systems that sent the Apollo spacecraft to the moon in the 1960s. And then with cloud computing, what's happening is we're collecting and storing vast amounts of that data and then we can analyze it. So maybe machines are finally becoming as clever as people. Last week, the chief scientist of the OpenAI research group, whose goal is to develop artificial intelligence in a way that benefits humanity, he said that he thought artificial intelligence might already be gaining consciousness. Well, that's a bit esoteric, but just to bring it back to something more realistic, have you noticed when you're streaming videos or songs, that you're now getting a lot of recommendations for music and movies that you might like because they're using cloud computing to store those vast amounts of entertainment that might appeal to you. They're using artificial intelligence to know what you like. So, Matteo, getting back to the question I wanted to ask, artificial intelligence and cloud computing, we see that in our day-to-day -day lives. We see that across the board now. Are they good reasons to own technology stocks? Yeah, it's a good question. As you rightly pointed out, the term AI, artificial intelligence, already exists since a very long time. So in fact, since the 50s, but only now we can actually see realistic real-world applications. And one key aspect about this AI revolution that makes it so extraordinary is the fact that it provides tools that have the potential to substantially add value in most industries and not just a single one. But as you pointed out, one of the main beneficiaries of this rise of AI, as well as also cloud computing, are, of course, the big U.S. technology companies. Why? Because they have the most online users and are also the largest cloud service providers. So they really have an edge when it comes to data. So they really have, um, they can take vast quantities of data generated by their active members and analyze this data to forecast behavior, to forecast spending patterns and other consumer-related forecasts. So therefore, those companies should be best positioned to benefit from both of those secular trends. Thank you, Mathieu. I want to shift the conversation from trends in technology to trends in the economy. And that'll also let us talk about the rest of the market, because we shouldn't forget that two-thirds of the U.S. equity market is not technology. So to set up the question, Mathieu, 
Yes, technology has these great earnings growth that you described earlier, 600% or something like that over the last decade. And, and it has these great stories like AI and cloud. But we have to acknowledge another thing that's been a big wind in the sector's sales and without doubt accounts for some of its outperformance is that interest rates and bond yields, and you said this earlier, have been at record lows for the past 10 years. And now the tables are turning and it looks almost certain that the Fed is going to start raising rates next month. So Matteo, my question is, what does that mean for investing in stocks, this change in the Federal Reserve's monetary policy? And I know that something you've been recommending since last summer, if memory serves me right, is to have more exposure to the companies whose fortunes are linked to the ups and downs of the economy. We could call them kind of cyclical companies if we want. Banks would be an example. They also benefit from rising interest rates because their margins tend to rise when rates are going up. And by the way, that was the right call, Matteo, because since last summer, banks have returned 13% in the U.S. The technology stocks, if we just look at the NASDAQ 100, down 3% since then. But I'm wondering, now the 10-year Treasury yield has already gone from half a percent back in 2020 to, let's call it 2% today. Is it too late to buy the banks now? We don't think so, and that it's too late to buy uh, the bank stocks now. Of course, they have had a really phenomenal run recently. Yes, but that comes after several years of underperformance uh, versus the broad market. So if you're looking at valuations here, banks still appear to be very cheap and compared to the broad market, especially the European banks. So we definitely see more room here for a re-rating from current levels. And as you pointed out, one of the main drivers of bank stocks are bond yields. Banks are among the biggest beneficiaries of rising bond yields. Why? Because their profits from net interest income usually increases with the levels of interest rates. And if you look at our forecast for the treasury yields of 2.3%, this actually implies a further outperformance of the banking sector of 15% relative to the broad market over the next 12 months. So we therefore continue to be constructive. We continue to be bullish on banks at this stage. But of course, you know, investors should not put all their eggs in one basket. So overall, we are currently still navigating in an environment of low visibility in regards to the inflation outlook, but also in regards to the economic outlook. So we therefore recommend to apply a barbell strategy between quality growth stocks from the IT and healthcare sector, combined with banks that benefit from high yields and also kind of provide some hedge against more persistent high inflation readings. Thank you, Mathieu. I want to end with a simple question. I'm going to set it up this way. When I studied investments at university, we were taught that ultimately what moves share prices is earnings. If a company has good earnings, its share price will go up. And if it has bad earnings, its share price will go down. And Mathieu, you explained that was a big part of the reason for the outperformance of the technology companies over the last 10 years. What I want to ask is about the earnings for the whole market, because last year, the S&P 500 companies, if you add them all up in aggregate, they had earnings growth of about 45%. This year, the consensus of analysts is only forecasting 8% earnings growth for the S&P 500 companies. And to me, that sounds like a much smaller number, 8% compared to 45%. So, Matteo, what's your expectation for the S&P from now to the end of the year, up, sideways, or down? In our 2022 outlook, we actually forecasted much lower returns for the S&P 500 in the more single-digit range compared to last year. 
So we did not expect a repeat of this Goldilocks scenario that we have been in 2021. And that's because, as you also pointed out, earnings growth will be much lower this year. And we also expect no further re-rating of the S&P 500 from current levels, if then rather a de-rating given the increase in nominal yields that we expected. But you know, at the end of the day, investing is really a relative game. So you need to somehow allocate your capital, right? You don't want to keep it in cash, especially not when inflation is as high as it is currently. So it's still a relative game. And we think equities relative to the other traditional asset classes are still very attractively valued and they're really the place to be for long-term oriented investors. Thanks, Mathieu. And I think that's proven by history too. If you go back to, I don't know, 100 years ago, the average annual return of the S&P is 9%, including dividends per year, isn't it? Something like that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining Mathieu and myself. And goodbye. Thank you. And goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.